Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome, welcome, Solar Warriors, to this week's Tactical Tuesday. These are short form interviews, although today's is not so much, but it is practical, tactical advice and insights from subject matter experts. In this case, it's what we call the Cleantech Podcasters Roundtable that just this past week on July 8th, we held live with my friend Mike Casey and a bevy of Cleantech Podcasters that you might recognize. Marie Burquist of What's Up Podcast from GRNE Solar, Tim Montague of The Solar Podcast and The Clean Power Hour, Bill Nussie of Freeing Energy, Kelly Pickerel from Contractors Corner at Solar Power World, Josh Porter of The Solar Coaster, and the ever-informative Julia Piper from Political Climate, and yours truly from Suncast, and the Cleantech Podcasters Roundtable, we believe was the first of its kind. It's in the fashion of TigerCom's Cleantech Editors Roundtable, which they've hosted numerous times, where industry-leading editors, and in this case, podcasters, come together to answer questions from Mike about what's happening in clean tech. We talk about the three biggest changes 2021 has ushered in for clean economy sectors. We highlight where we think the industry is going. We answer questions like, what do you listen to or read to gain insight on the sectors that you cover in the industry? What are the potential backgrounds of typical clean energy economy CEOs five years from now. What is the most important clean economy sector? Uh, We talk about advice for the industry communicators that are trying to reach out and book themselves on podcasts, as well as a few tips and tricks on exactly how to be a good guest on a show. This was a lot of fun. I hope you'll enjoy it. And thank you for tuning in, make sure that you are subscribed to our email newsletter over at mysuncast.com because that is how you would have found out about this live event if you didn't hear about it already. If you're on our email list and you didn't get a chance to listen, well, here you go. This is the replay from that live conversation. Thank you for tuning in. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, with another Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast. All right. Well, I want to say hello to clean techers. I'm Mike Casey, and I'm the founder of TigerCom, the national clean economy, Marcom, and public affairs firm. And I have the honor today of convening a group of clean tech's leading podcast hosts. And we are confident that this is the first gathering of its kind. As many of you know, our quarterly clean tech editors roundtables have become pretty popular during the pandemic. And as that series progressed, we kept hearing from people who wanted to hear from the podcasters who cover their sectors. And I suspect that the interest in hearing from our guests today has grown because people recognize that as the hosts of their own shows, each of these podcasters has an enhanced vantage point on the sector trends and developments that they see 
And I also think that the growth of the clean economy sectors makes the role of news sites and podcasts increasingly important because there's just more territory to, to cover and to keep up with. <clears throat> so while the full-time editors may have a breadth of viewpoint because of the sheer volume of the pitches they get, these people have a depth of viewpoint because their shows go deep on a given trend, executive, company, or idea. And I think I speak for many of you listening today when I tell you podcasters that we increasingly rely on and trust you to do the listening for us, and you do it well. And I want to extend special thanks to Suncast Nico Johnson for, for being the first to agree to join us and for volunteering to handle the tech for our panel. <clears throat> I'm going to have the panelists introduce themselves in alphabetical order by last name, then go right to a few questions. Um, I am certain we're going to hear from each of our guests because as podcasters, they are not shy about jumping into the conversation. I should note that John Powers of X only sent me regrets yesterday. His vacation Wi-Fi has proved unreliable, and he wasn't confident that he could join us without technical glitches. So with that, Marie, let me start with you for introductions. Uh, I am Marie Berkowitz of the What's Up podcast, uh, podcast producer and host. Um, Good. All right. Go ahead. And uh, so, Nico, you're up. Yeah, my name is Nico Johnson. I host uh, one of the longer running solar podcasts called Suncast. Uh, and we help folks uh, tell their story and uh, find their place in the clean economy. Tim? I'm Tim Montague, host and creator of the Solar Podcast and co-host of the Clean Power Hour with my co-host, John Weaver. Mr. Nussi. I'm uh, Bill Nussi, a 25-year tech uh, CEO that's turned into a clean energy evangelist with a mission to get lots of entrepreneurs and innovators into the space of ours. And I'm also the host of the Freeing Energy podcast with an associated book coming out at the end of this year. Kelly. I'm Kelly Pickerel. I am editor-in-chief of Solar Power World. It's a 10-year a solar magazine, and we also put out the podcast Contractors Corner, where we talk to solar installers across the country. Mr. Porter. Aloha, folks. My name is Josh Porter, Solar Coaster, AMFM radio show, Maui County for the last four years, uh, or general solar hustler, and got involved with media and really enjoy it. And we're working on a film this summer. I'm really looking forward to talking to everybody. Good. Last but not least, Ms. Piper. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Julia Piper. I left journalism after more than 10 years, um, including doing the Political Climate Podcast, uh, to join Good Leap earlier this year. But uh, while I'm working on policy and comms for Good Leap, we are still hopefully bringing back the Political Climate Podcast after a little hiatus. We produce that in uh, partnership with the USC Schwarzenegger Institute, and we cover the policy and politics of clean energy. Good. And I'll just say to the audience here, we we. Did uh, We did invite the podcasters to bring uh, backgrounds, so vote for your top background. You can vote at any point during the show. There's a, um, there's a vote function here on Zoom. So podcasters, let me just, I'm going to ask you some open-ended questions. They're intended for all of you to answer, you know, take a pass if you don't want to, but let me just ask this first one. <clears throat> so we're midway through 2021, and my question for you is, in your view, what are the three biggest changes that this year has ushered in so far for clean economy sectors? Kelly, can I start with you? <laughs> sure. Um, I think specifically with solar, I think this this year we're you know emerging from COVID and we're still being super successful with solar installation. Like solar had the biggest first quarter ever, installing five gigawatts in the first three months of this year. And that was 58% of all new capacity that was installed in the United States. So I think solar is off to a, a really great start. I think Biden taking 
you know, office at the beginning of the year. He's very pro renewables. That has definitely helped things along. There's a lot of positive um, opinions about solar and about renewable energy. And I think in general, we'll probably talk about this a little later, all of the, the news that's kind of coming out of the, the Xinjiang region with, with solar. If we kind of ignore that, I think solar has a lot of support behind it right now. The installers that I talk to are, are busier than ever. And I think that's my one, I'll, I'll just say one thing that's kind of changed for the first few months of this year. I think there's a lot of support behind us. Okay. How about you, Bill? You know, I think there's two things. I am super excited about the Ford 150 Lightning. I think this is way more than just another EV. This is like the first, this is like the love child of the V2G, the local energy movement and uh, EVs. And it's the first really practical EV that anybody could want, right? So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, and, and, and you guys may disagree with me, I live in the Southeast United States, but I feel like um, since the beginning of this year that the, the climate denying uh, sort of equal footing on the conversation has faded away. And, and a lot of those folks are back to wearing their tinfoil hats again. And I feel I, there's still a lot of debate. Don't get me wrong. Still a lot of non-believers, but it's no longer equally credible to say, I don't think this is happening. So I'm excited about that. <clears throat> Got it. Julia, how about you? Top three changes you've seen so far this year? Yeah. Um, well, I definitely echo others. I think um, in terms of momentum, I think I saw in Bloomberg this morning, um, all these major records being broken, corporations making more pledges to procure clean energy than ever before, financial markets issuing more sustainable debt, investors putting more money into ESG uh, traded funds than ever before. <clears throat> so all the metrics across the board are, are up. Um, I'd also add, I think resilience came front of mind this year, not only with, with Texas, obviously, but also wildfires in California. That's changed the lens, I think, of how we think about all kinds of clean energy resources and also some vulnerabilities in fossil fuels. Um, I'd also add the focus on uh, environmental justice and equity, I think, has really been brought to the fore. We're seeing that with some of the nominations that are before the Biden administration right now, including even potential new Treasury Secretary, who will put that front of mind and a FERC, new FERC member. Um, and that ripples through all kinds of stuff that the administration's put on the table, notably with their 40 percent commitment to clean energy investments being in um, underrepresented communities. So a few top items there. Tim, how about you? You know, my my drumbeat, Mike, is solar is king. We've seen it now be the number one source of new energy for the last couple of years. And that is it is breaking away from wind power now. And uh and then storage and green hydrogen, the drumbeat of big projects coming online for for storage in the US is just eye popping and the Europeans going long on green hydrogen, I think has America waking up to the reality that green hydrogen is a must. Nico. Well, I was hoping that Tim wouldn't steal the green hydrogen thunder, but, um, but he went and did it. I'm going to actually double down on green hydrogen as one of the interesting uh, evolutions of the year. I've been really amazed to uh, have spoken with, folks from DNV to major solar developers who believe in the power of green hydrogen to fuel the infrastructure economy to take uh, to take on some of the dollars that look like they're coming from Biden's infrastructure bill. And um, the other thing that I'm, you know, the other two areas that I'm really excited about, uh, I really believe that EV adoption is uh, rapidly accelerating, uh, faster than uh, anticipated, is accelerating more in outside of the United States, even than it is in the United States, uh, places like Norway and China. Um, and that uh, adoption is, I think, going to usher in 
uh, and support the conversation that we all believe is necessary that uh, the coupling of EV and vehicle to grid with energy storage makes every solar project going out the door uh, essentially require energy storage. Uh, and the third thing that I don't hear a lot of folks talking about, but that is nonetheless very pertinent is uh, jobs. A lot of folks are hiring. Uh, a lot of folks are actually looking for jobs as well, especially in high tech and oil and gas. And so we spend a lot of time helping folks kind of navigate that, um, that landscape. And uh, I get just dozens and dozens of messages uh, from folks that are looking for jobs and for folks from folks in our uh, respective industries that are hiring. I'm really excited about the job growth right now. Let's do Josh, who are, he's got a piece of um, fan mail chat on the background in, in, uh, from audience and then Marie. All right. All right. Well, um, I, I, you know, I'm going to take a look at the amount of money that's coming into the renewable energy space, the new energy economy. I think that we never could have predicted this a few years ago, and whether it's through uh, ETFs or whether it's through companies trying to burnish their image and or whether it's through um, all these. What, what's going to happen with all that money? And are, are good bets going to be made when you ask about later on down the road? What's going to happen in six months? I thought to myself, we might see some of those initial bets not looking too good. Right. So. So uh, that, number one is really just the unbelievable amount of money and, and resources that have come to bear in the new energy economy. That's number one. Number two, I think uh, where, where I totally echo the idea that the F-150 Lightning is spectacular and can really kind of uh, be everyone's EV. And I'm actually looking forward to going visiting the Rouge plant shortly this summer. I, I think that um, EVs, while people are well, we're seeing this excitement from the companies. They're announcing EVs at a, at a rapid pace. But what's going on with used vehicle prices actually going up? I mean, is there a disconnect between what the companies are doing and what we all hope as people in the clean energy sector and what the actual everyday guy is doing about Transpo? Are they really thinking about the electrification of Transpo in the way that I think we all hope they are? Uh, but when you look at the numbers, you look at the cost of, uh, of, of used vehicles, it seems to me it doesn't quite reflect that yet. And there isn't really, I mean, I, when we look at the costs of, of, of EVs, of older EVs too, how does that reflect that issue? So, um, and the third thing, and this is, I try to put on my cynical hat here to think about some of the concerns, right? But the, these are big things that are happening this year. What about the power plants that we're working so hard to, de to get offline that are being mm. scooped up by these hedge fund guys and they're running Bitcoin miners like crazy, like uh, Greenridge, for example, in New York. I mean, that is crazy. So using carbon credits to say we're net neutral. I mean, uh, those are some of the types of things that to me are huge this year, 2021, and who knows what's going to happen by the end of the year. How about you, Marie? Big three. Yeah, I would absolutely have to echo everything that has already been stated. EVs, absolutely. That is um, an up and comer and it has been for a while. We talk a lot about how it's like pushed in the market and then has pulled back, pushed in. And now it's because of these corporations um, taking on these goals and lofty goals of whole lineups becoming EVs. Um, it's just been a big front and center for everyone. Um, I, do, I do hope we get the opportunity to talk a little bit more about uh, is the Ford F-150 all electric, is that going to be actually usable for a homeowner? Because the amperage to take that, that is not in somebody's, you know, general garage space. Um, so then that brings up storage. Storage, um, I believe it was Kelly and Bill also mentioned the, um, the Texas anomaly that happened 
that's huge into storage and resiliency. And people are getting, because we're not talking to the early adopters anymore, especially in the solar space. It is not an early adopter looking at solar. It is the more late adopters, which means grid tied system where before it was like, your solar is is still grid tied. Now you don't really have to explain that as much. And now people are a little more in, are are much more further along in their knowledge base to understand that they need a backup component to be able to run their energy um, if the grid happens to go down. And then um, you know renewables have just it's been on front of mind, and whether that be. Um, from a political standpoint, from a corporate standpoint, it's what shareholders are talking about. It's just been the top of mind and it's not so much these um, Google alerts that you're setting. This is front page news on huge major media articles um, that are gaining traction for solar. So exactly like Bill said, it is not the tinfoil hats anymore of people that are interested in it. It is a widely accepted, viable, realistic option for people. And that's been an absolutely major shift. You know, just for the record, it was the people that were climate denying were the tinfoil hats for me. Oh, All okay. They were from the beginning of the true true visionaries. I just want to be clear who's wearing the tinfoil hat in this scenario. <laughs> well, when it comes to PR geekdom, I guess I'm now going to put on my um my tinfoil hat because this is like only a PR guy could want to really ask you all this question, but I am fascinated um, to know what information sources do each one of you use to stay current on the sector or sectors that you cover. And some of you are just on solar, some of you are in multi-sector focus with your shows. I'm really interested in what do you consume for information sources to stay current? Tim, let me let me start with you. Gosh, well, you're looking at a, a group of amazing information resources. And I, and I have to say, uh, shout out to Nico with Suncast being an early adopter. He really uh, gave me the energy to to make the leap into clean tech. So thank you, Nico. And uh, Kelly Pickrell, Solar Power World, uh, that's a must must read on a weekly and monthly basis. Um, and then, you know, outside of, of solar specifically, uh, I've been blown away by Bill Nussie's Freeing Energy podcast. N- not to slight any of my other colleagues here, the, they're all amazing resources. And then um, just on the, well, I wanted to mention one other non-clean tech podcast that has really changed my life for the better. And that is Rob Reed's podcast called After On, which is the name of a novel that he wrote. Rob Reed is a sci-fi author, tech entrepreneur, and uh, just an amazing guy all around. So check out Rob Reed's After On podcast. And he interviews what he says are thinkers, founders, and scientists. I'm somebody who just loves the combination of technology, people, and sustainability. And um, so, and then uh, one one last media mention for me would be electric. I I love the uh, electrification of everything that you know that drumbeat that they bring the EV of course, uh, EV news being a a prime uh, sort content for them. And as an EV owner, I call myself the church lady of EV range, and so I would caution <laughs> all of our listeners that yes, the forty 
the Ford F-150 electric pickup truck is a great car, but will mainstream consumers survive 300 mile range? As a 300 mile range EV driver, I... If you're on the coast, it's fine where the EV infrastructure is amazing. Uh, if you're in the Midwest, it's a different story. Got it. All right, Nico, what information source do you consume and stay on top of things? Uh, I used to read a lot more. I listen to books and podcasts a lot. Um, I, I, as well, am a big fan of freeing energy. Candidly, I think that Bill does a great job of actually giving me more information around how the overall energy markets work. I love uh, his curiosity. Uh, I think that one of the geek ones that I listen to a lot uh, when I have time is Chris Nelder's energy transition show. I know he couldn't, he couldn't be on here today, Um, but for podcasts, uh, I generally listen outside of the space um, for for kind of what I'm looking to know about the world. Um, up first is one of the ones that I generally go to. Um, the Scaling Clean blog, of course, uh, is one that I routinely turn to. Uh, TigerCom, I think you guys do a great job of actually uh, digging in to the issues that are driving not only uh, clean tech, but e-mobility. Um, I, what's, what's your Venmo number? Just uh, <laughs> that's right. 50 bucks? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. Um, the, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. So uh, you're more often uh, likely to see on there where I am getting gathering other information. But among the, the resources that I, util- I frequent, it's Utility Dive, uh, Axios, PV Magazine, PV Buzz, for those who are taking notes and looking for places to, to add to their, um, to their bookmarks. And then, of course, there are a number of newsletters. I think the one that's probably most recommendable for its consistency is Jan's Solar Wake Up, um, which uh, I, at least once or twice a week I'll jump in on. Um, and I do like the PV Magazine daily, uh, their daily uh, email as well. But I've just uh, fallen in love lately, lastly, with Axios. I, f- I find that Axios tends to have a really good, um, a good take. Uh, not everywhere and not in every uh, circumstance, but I do uh, find myself going back to Axios. Hope that's not too long of a list. No, it's it's great. It just uh, Ryan Riley has asked us to crunch a list that results from this. Uh, the answers to this question. So Ryan, yes, we will. We'll um, we'll take the recording. We'll and we'll put that down there. So thanks for asking, Julia. Let me ask you what you are you're looking at not just clean energy but the politics around it. What information yeah. sources are you following? Well, I had to change my background because everyone else had a cool one and I'm traveling. So I gave the, the that's supposed to be a tin hat, but the best I could do to get <laughs> off of Bill's comments there. <laughs> we'll maybe change it up again. Um, on resources, um, I got to give a shout out to Canary Media, which is a lot of my old colleagues from Green Tech Media, which yeah. rebooted and, and, and with some support from RMI, uh, relaunched as Canary. Um, I think they have lots of exciting stuff coming up. So I recommend everyone go check them out. Um, I have to say, Bloomberg does a really great job. Like they cover the intersection of finance and clean energy and uh, bringing in the global perspective as well. So I have to say, I really respect their reporters. I've got some great newsletters. Um, I give a shout out also for our daily planet, which is a newsletter um, by uh, Monica and Miro. Um, Monica is actually uh, now joining the Biden administration. Um, she happens to be the wife of Ron Klain, who is the chief of staff, but 
also very accomplished in her own right. And they created a very beautiful newsletter that educates the broader public on environmental issues. So if you want just like one step out of the energy wonkdom and a little more as to like environmental stuff, highly recommend Our Daily Planet and um, would echo many of the ones that Nico said too, um, throwing out Politico as well. If you want the politics stuff, they, they do have a great beat on it. Kelly? Yeah, I'm going to give my Solar Power World pitch real quick. Um, so Solar Power World is a... Uh, media organization we have a, a print magazine but we also are putting out news every single day we focus on the solar installer so it's a very like niche part of clean energy um i have a team there's there's three editors and we're we're very focused on the u.s solar market and so please you know visit us everywhere at solarpowerworldonline.com we're on youtube we do you know social media we have videos we have how-tos we have all kinds of informational content there so thank you to everyone for being a fan um i echo a lot of the things that everybody else said we're, we're getting our news from all over the place but uh like Nico said, I get a lot of stuff from like LinkedIn and Twitter, just the the community that we have in, in solar. And they're so active on these social medias and so willing to share and provide, you know, tips and just help each other out. It's, it's a competitive market, but everyone is also willing to like lift each other up and make sure that we're getting these projects completed. So I get a lot of news just like straight from, from people that way. And I just want to say one thing that irks me about Bloomberg Bloomberg does really great content, but all of their feature images for solar is concentrated solar pictures with mirrors, and it drives me crazy. Those are not solar panels. Stop using those photos. So That's other than that, totally fair. I can't see it. General, if there are any like CMOs on this call, like as having spent time in journalism, I'm sure you can appreciate Kelly. Like, just we just need more pictures in the sector. Full stop. Yes. Something. Anything. <laughs> it is so hard to find photos to accompany news stories when we want to to make your story shine. But yes, I right. Yeah. I, <laughs> she, so yeah, she, audi she audience members. I told you I was very concerned about these shrinking violet panelists not speaking up and joining in the conversation. <laughs> Ms. Piper, right there, proved the point. So, all right, Mr. Nussi, you seem to be the gentleman that everybody turns to from information sources. So, what is the who does the oracle listen to? Please tell us. Yeah, I think I spend hours a day reading everything, uh, and so uh, but the there's a there's a couple of thinkers that I really like, and I have to call out David Roberts who's got his own uh, yeah. newsletter volts now and he's part of Canary. So I also, uh, I don't think there's a bigger fan of Rocky Mountain Institute uh, than me. So they're Canary, putting Canary together is a fantastic fit. And obviously Dave spent some time there. Uh, Steve Levine, um, who's doing his own newsletter now is one of the smartest people on batteries. I go to him all the time. Obviously a Jan's daily thing. There's also a, uh, something called oil fail, a guy named Gregor McDonald. If uh, he's, he's fantastically smart, uh, sort of quasi economist, mostly about the broader energy markets, but it's the most thoughtful, thought-provoking uh, stuff I read. It's a little above my pay grade, but I, I try to digest as much as I can. Uh, and um, I also, for EVs, I go to EV adoption. And I do think it's interesting that, um, uh, that you guys mentioned LinkedIn because I'm getting my head around LinkedIn as a platform. I have to say, you know, those of you that live on Twitter, you have my undying respect and admiration. I just, you know, in contributing to Twitter, consuming Twitter. I don't know, LinkedIn, I really like, I guess I'm a long, I'm old enough to be a long form kind of person. Uh, but uh, so long, I'm really leaning into LinkedIn right now, both uh, both my, my, primarily for consumption, but also some contribution. Right. Bill, what Josh, was the, oh, go ahead, Nico. I was just, what, Greg O'Donnell, what, what was the resource for him? Uh, Gre Gregor McDonald, and it's called Oil Fail. 
Okay. Uh, Gregor letter. Isn't yeah. there also a Gregor letter? Thank thank, thank Gregor letter is what it sends from. It's just the smartest, most thoughtful stuff on politics uh, anyway. But it's, it, he touches on clean energy a lot, which is why he, I'm a regular reader. Got it. Okay. All right, Josh. Information yeah. sources. What are we following there? <laughs> well, I mean, um, you guys have covered the uh, so many of these great resources for sure. Uh, let me try to put something new out there. Uh, you know, of course, we focus in on Hawaii and achieving our 100% renewable energy mandate. Uh, there is a, a blog, Elani Media. Life of the Land by Henry Curtis. I uh, just did an interview with Henry um, for the Hawaii Energy Conference about a month ago. Uh, brilliant journalist and really gets deep into what's happening in Hawaii and how this transition is happening and what some of the concerns are. He just produces a, a tremendous amount of content for over five decades. And if you want to know what's going on in Hawaii, that's what you read. Then uh, there's a boatloads of other stuff. I mean, you know, for the weekly radio show, when we were doing that full time, it was really just a matter of uh, let's Google and find the weirdest resources as we can some that say the strangest <laughs> things and then and then and then bring those on i mean some little gazette in you know some little town in the middle of wherever uh would say do solar panels suck up the sun's energy <laughs> i love those you know and then we'd bring those on so um yeah i mean there's uh those are some of the strange ones i do scour the uh university uh journals and and news sources uh, mit.news.edu or that one's pretty cool uh, for, for kind of new stuff that's coming out uh that may be uh, uh, you know, may make its way to the mainstream in the future. So those are some ideas. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to throw just the, um, the who answers the question kind of open here. But um, let me ask you this. So when I first started in clean tech 15 years ago, clean tech was really, it was kind of, it was springing from the rib of high tech. So not surprisingly, it was very much in solar play, very much North Northern California play and company executive teams were largely dominated by people with experience in high tech. <clears throat> Speed forward to today, it seems to me that most executive teams, particularly CEOs, are have power backgrounds or finance backgrounds. They tend to dominate. So my question for all of you is based on what you see and hear through your own respective shows, what do you predict will be the background of the typical clean economy CEO five years from now? Podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not Anyone wrong. else? <laughs> you know, when I started researching this book I wrote, I interviewed, I spent a couple hours with Amory Levins, and this was about four years ago. And he told me, he said, the problem with you tech people, and he put it nicely, but I heard him say, the problem with you tech people is that you just blow up when you get into clean energy. You don't under, you don't have any experience in assets. You don't have any understanding of regulation, regulatory. He said, I, so I really yeah. respect the fact that you're starting yeah. by writing a book, which was my goal and, my, and has been my, my process. But I will tell you that the first wave of tech people you talked about, Mike, uh, blew up. For a lot of yes, reasons, they yes, and they thought did. that algae-based yep. fuel was the thing to do, and yep. you know that uh, we didn't need uh, silicon solar. There's a lot of mistakes. What I call the Gosh. clean apocalypse in 2011, Gosh. and totally. and so what's happened though is I will tell you that I think the tech community, not 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 necessarily Silicon Valley, which is its own universe, but I, I have come from 25 years in tech, and I can tell you those people are moving into this uh, very quickly. It's for, batteries make software valuable for the really first time in the um, energy industry and in the, in the electricity industry. So I think you're gonna see an entirely new generation of people that are wiser um, and more ready to participate in this. And these, what, these are really great entrepreneurs. They can raise money, um, understand how to grow businesses. So I think that wave is gonna come back a second time. And so that's, you're, what, you're, that's who you're my seeing, vote is for. You're wow. seeing tech, tech leadership come, people with tech backgrounds 
repopulating executive teams in, in clean economy companies? I think they're coming. And that's, gotcha. that's who my book is for. That's what the whole free energy is about, is getting people that are entrepreneurial, uh, that understand how to grow and operate businesses, uh, and, and particularly people that understand technology. Because, you know, for 10, 20, for 100 years, the grid was defined by fuels. And solar is a technology, it's not a fuel. So the entire underlying economic uh, driver of energy is shifting from fuels to technology. And those folks who understand the basic economics of technology, which are totally different, uh, those folks will have a big advantage strategically. Plus a lot of them, just that tens of thousands of people that know how to build businesses, fast growing businesses. Others, typical CEO, five years from now. I would have to agree. Oh, okay. um, I wanted to agree with what Bill was saying. At its very core, a business is still a business. A CEO um, and the people that choose to enter into those um, roles typically have that background of leadership, finance, operations, strategy. Um, and I think the change is really going to come from, again, the evolution of it turning into more of a veteran type um, uh, industry and because renewables isn't just this pet project that people are dabbling in. It's, it's a viable career option. And a lot of times when we're speaking with C-suite level people that are, you know, transitioning off from utility companies, they're saying, I've always had a passion for renewable energy, um, solar energy, uh, biomass, and and now they're making the switch over into, you know, from a viable utility uh, company over to, you know, advocacy groups, creating their own advocacy groups, creating their own bills and advocating for their own bills um, and, and nonprofits. And then also their own their own larger, you know, EPC firms and things like that. So I do see a, the CEO role remaining who would be interested in, in CEO now? Some people don't want a leadership position, but they got all the ideas in the world. So um, I, that's, that's my take on it. Well, I was going to key off of that, actually, because um, I think it's kind of been touched on, but the role of CEO is evolving, more sophisticated. And I would say public affairs is going to become a key element. Whether or not you have a finance background, a technical background, whatever it is, you have to be able to play in the communications meets policy realm. Maybe bias, that's where I come from, but I think it speaks to the evolution of where these sectors are going. We're playing with the big guys. We want to inspire consumers to take part, inspire investors to take part, get policymakers on our rails. That requires leaders in our sector who know how to communicate and tell the story outside of the lab and things like that. So um, I hope there's an understanding more of how this actually will support the bottom line. I feel like a lot of companies in general deprioritize communications and public oh. affairs and government relations where um, you need TigerCom to the world to help you out because this is how we win the day is by having it resonate at a broad level. All right, hold on. Venmo, Piper. Okay, I mean, there you go. I totally agree about the communication skills. It's it's so important in this industry. Yeah, I'll tag on as well. I mean, I was going to say, obviously, um, Michael Scott and uh, Jim, like sales and the ability to communicate, can sell anything from paper to clean energy, right? So obviously, uh, I think that the background of the CEOs of our clean tech future are going to necessarily have, and uh, we're seeing uh, a sales background. But in particular, I think um, in the next three to five years, which I think is the time frame that you're looking at, um, Mike, the the power trading and even the oil and gas industry, in particular, 
tech savvy communicators in the oil and gas industry are going to find their way uh, not not in through the bottom, but like leapfrogging and jumping straight into executive roles and powerful executive roles because they understand the macroeconomics. They understand the utility industry. They understand how to move uh, electrons around the world and they understand the oil and gas industry has uh, is is light years ahead of the tech industry on uh, a lot of tech applications, including blockchain, that mm. are directly improving efficiencies in their industry. And I can't, I just can't see a world where we don't see a more a, a larger influx of oil and gas and power trading uh, folks, especially that are tech savvy and understand the underpinnings, uh, moving into executive roles and pr- primarily leadership roles in our sector. Julia, something you said may it. Reminds me, I'm three quarters away through this book called The Polluters, and it's a it's actually a history of the chemical industry's lobbying efforts. It's absolutely fascinating, and it from that book and from some others that I've read, it's my non-empirical conclusion that for most industries, it takes three to four decades for enough generations of leadership to come through, so they understand that public case making, particularly to policymakers, is baked into the business plan. And part of the reason why we clean economy has had such a bumpy, uh, you know, a, a sawtooth line upwards, so to speak, in the scaling is because there's a lot of magical thinking that dominates executive teams when it comes to how elected officials make decisions. And part of it's you hold them harmless because unless you unless you've ever worked for an elected official, as your paycheck, putting them into office, servicing while they're there, or get, kicking them out of office, it's hard to understand from a private sector standpoint the differences in motivations. And yet, what we're seeing is, I think we, we've hit an inflection point where commercial execution is now clearly more important than policy environment setting. And yet, we still, in my opinion, severely undertend to making our case to policymakers to actually level the playing field because it's it's not you know the, the the fossil guys have engineered the entire subsidy conversation down at our goal line it's all about you know wind solar subsidized it's like no no actually you guys are the welfare bums you guys are the ones that have gotten all the money for hundreds of years and we've been paying to clean up your mess and we've been giving you cheap access to public property just on and on and on so i what you said was really spot on but i don't want to uh can I make one quick point? There? I know I'm sort of hogging the mic, but just to, as it relates to that, is I feel like there's an opportunity for the clean energy industry to partner with the advocates. And I think those are different worlds. The youth leaders, the Sunrise Movement, even NRDC, they actually are a good kind of bridge. But I see different worlds here when I look at it. There's industry and then there's advocacy. And of course, industry advocates, et cetera. But I think there's actually an untapped opportunity to align more these sectors and have environmentalists learn more about clean energy business models and have clean energy executives learn more about what's driving the youth of today and not be afraid of it because I sometimes see and feel that. Yes. Um, so I think we need to ally a little bit more and whether or not it's about pointing out the fossil fuel industry's legacy, that that is part of it. But even as our own sector, I think there's much more to be done on a positive and uniting front that I haven't quite seen fully happen yet, but is is happening, hopefully. Hey, I've got a quick question for you. Did you ever 
think, man, I wish I could just text Nico. I have a question for him. Hey, Nico, where is your favorite Thai restaurant in Durham? Hey, Nico, what are the flight prices to Mexico City right now? Hey, Nico, where are you going to be staying in New Orleans this year for North America Smart Energy Week? If any of those questions have occurred to you or some other thing that you'd like to chat with me about, why don't you text me at 310-634-1780. I'm running a little test to see if I can actually get you as a listener to respond. So there you go. That's my number, 310-634-1780. Shoot me a text message. I'd like to know if you're going to North America Smart Energy Week 2021 in New Orleans. I'm going to be there. So why don't you take this opportunity to text 310-634-1780 and let me know, Nico, I'm going. Or Nico, you're crazy. Why in the heck would I be in New Orleans? We're still in a pandemic. Either way, I love you and I hope to see you there. And I hope that you'll text me. That number, again, is right there in your podcast player description if you click on it. It was about uh, five years into clean tech and I, I kept hearing this refrain from leadership at companies saying, we're a business, not a cause. Like they really wanted to get away from the intermingling with what they saw as environmental activists. We're a clean industry, we're not a green cause. And what I hear and what you're saying is, maybe we've now clawed back clean energy enough from Solyndra and the culture wars and all this nonsense because we're employing large numbers of people in red America. Now, I think there's a bunch of things we can do to like close the gap between our physical presence and the enthusiasm of the representation in those areas. But my point is, I think what you're saying is right. We're kind of entering in this era where perhaps we can now stop overcompensating from the activist origins way, way back in time of clean energy, be confident that we're business people, not hippies, and we can now reconnect with people who we have natural alliance with. And by the way, I think that if you look at where we need to build things and sell things, a lot of it's in square states and flyover country that's solidly, you know, Trump country. And we need to have, we need to basically be having parallel, but slightly different conversations with red America and green America. I think that's pretty clear. Any other thoughts on uh, the, the CEOs of the uh, five years from now, their backgrounds? Yeah, I'd like to what? chime in. Oh. Please don't. I, I think oh, first Tim. principles rule. I think tech is tech. I think that if you're a young person and you get an engineering degree or a physics degree or a material science degree, you can learn the business side. Um, my... My mantra is not only be technical, but be a great communicator. Tesla doesn't do marketing and sales, right? They don't do advertising. That's because they are a mission-driven company. And Elon Musk is a marketing genius as well as a technical genius. And I'm not suggesting that's an easy combination to find or get, but if you can, do it. Any thoughts on that before we move on? We did have a question from a, a listener who among us has an EV and has solar up in their house? I don't know if everybody's put comments on the panel. Anybody else want to just say their current status here? Got solar. Uh, okay. <laughs> Got solar in Makalau, Maui, and uh, have an F-150 and looking forward to getting the uh, the F-150 EV potentially. So, mm -hmm. Well, speaking for myself, I was, I was uh, persuaded by a piece long ago that said you're, the best way to hold on to your carbon footprint is to use drive the car you have into the ground. So I've, There you go. 18 years and 220,000 miles on my um, my um, 
dog car now is a Honda Element. I'm gonna probably let that thing fall off, and then we'll look at. I'm on the registration list for canoe, and I actually, I, I guess I'll put the flag on the ground here for a content stream coming up. I, I've been a conscientious objector in Virginia because for years and years, Dominion did not allow uh, no money down solar leasing. They they essentially they, they banned it and that's just changed and so my plan is later this year we're, i'm going to do kind of a, a public shopping expedition we're going to document it up on the blog and interview different companies and the whole king caboodle i'm going to try to go up on the roof and help try to help put the panels up and the whole thing so uh, no anna moving but we you know we've been doing our solar energy uh, we do our clean energy credits anybody else on um, on walking the walk question I have a microgrid on wheels called an RV with solar and lithium ion batteries in the bunker. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Good. Millennials are just trying to buy houses over here. Can we get some of those? <laughs> like, then we'll think about upgrading. <laughs> you can see my solar panels here. This is actually uh, my home. And uh, so we've got solar panels uh, and batteries, uh, Tesla power walls. So we've got uh, uh, I, I actually would love to go totally off grid, but I, I haven't figured that. I, I've actually spent a lot of cycles trying to get there, but uh, the cost and technical challenges and the, what do you mean we can't um, uh, run the dishwasher at midnight kind of thing. So right now, practically, we're still grid bound, but um, in inching our way towards being purely solar power and uh, batteries. Nice. Actually, I'd like to jump in for a moment, if that's okay. Um, so we have a, um, a LG system, 10KW, and we're uh, working with SolarEdge to put in the one of the first energy hub systems later this summer. And they're shipping out one of their batteries, and it's I have their EV charger ready to go, uh, P320 optimizers, and it's, it's a great system. It's I'm very excited about that because there's some new opportunities to shift loads around the house. Uh, for example, in the case of Makawao or Maui in Hawaii, we don't have net metering in the same way you might have it in other environments. So we have uh, self-supply is, is the tariff. And uh, basically, we're going to be utilizing all of that energy with the battery. Um, but when that battery is full or when our loads are met, it would be great to move the additional uh, energy over to, for example, a beautiful electric uh, F-150. So that's what I'm excited about. And as so often happens with these, we're just note to sales, we're 18 minutes out from the close. If we want to keep it to an hour, it's just awesome. We almost never get to all the questions uh, that we come up with, much less the audience's questions. So here's one, all right? Touchy subject, but I'm going to ask it anyway. In your opinion, what is the most important or impactful clean economy sector as we sit here today? The most important, the most impactful? Energy storage. And why? Without it, we can't scale. Uh, I think we can't scale and achieve RE100, um, or rather carbon neutral, uh, let alone RE100, without uh, energy storage scaling. So okay. chemistry chemistry is an, uh, it's an industry that is, uh, is rapidly evolving. And everything else, I think, from a renewables perspective, depends on energy storage. If you look at green hydrogen, it is it's effectively energy storage. It's a new way to trans transfer that the electrons from solar and many other uh, uh, renewable generators. So my my answer is energy storage. Okay, I have a for me. I don't know if this is really going to answer your question, but maybe to me the most important and socially impacting thing that's going to happen because of clean energy is the 750, 770 million people in Africa and India that have no electricity at all. And their only chance of having electricity, and it's working, spent a lot of time, there's a lot about this in my book, is the, the solar battery systems, these small ones, but they're getting, the costs are, you know, we, we see the costs coming down for these domestic systems, but from their point of view, 
the costs are coming down even more quickly. So what might've been barely affordable in the past was a small lantern. You can now get a system with a television and lights and um, they're now moving into what they call productive use. I spent a lot of cycles in this industry and uh, uh, with, with policymakers and leaders. And uh, when you move into productive use, you all of a sudden create for the first time in generations, if ever, a chance for a family to, to make money uh, doing more than subsistence farming. And that is energy in my view these clean energy systems are the first principles for health, welfare, social rights, women's rights. Um, it's an amazing ladder that energy allows them to climb. So that to me is the biggest thing. And I always want to remind people um, how important and how few resources it takes to make such a big difference there. All right. Most important, most impactful sector and why? I think I can jump on for a sec there. Uh, I think hydrogen, of course, echoing would um what Nico just said about storage uh, is, is critical to being able to get to the next level of all of this. But hydrogen is particularly interesting. I do think there's a question about how, I mean, is hydrogen going to work in the way that people are talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. So we just finished up a show at Hawaii Energy Conference with Michelle Detweiler and Chuck Collins of the uh, Hawaii Hydrogen Alliance and learned a lot about that. You know, I think that there's uh, there are different colors of hydrogen, for example. There's gray, there's blue, there's green, there's pink. Who knows what pink hydrogen is? It's nuclear, right? So what is the real um, what is the real value proposition of hydrogen? Is it related to fuel cells? Is there another route? Uh, I think that is, uh, I'm excited to explore that. And on this film project we're working on this summer, we're actually headed across the country via RV. We're going to be visiting Douglas uh, Douglas Utility, and they're deploying two five megawatt electrolyzers at this moment for, uh, for excess hydropower. So I'm excited to see it firsthand. All right. Julia, I saw I, I you looked to me like you were writing an answer here. So I want to yeah. hear it. Well, it's, I was going to joke nuclear. Everyone loves it. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Um, but um, no, I'm just going to say, just focus on the homes. I struggle with this actually, like putting the, the onus on individuals and like, obviously there's systems change needed, but the, the rewiring America has this stat that 40% of our emissions come from what's decisions made in and around our homes. So I just think our buildings and the decisions we make of what powers them, how we get around them, even down to food systems, not my area of expertise, but starting to rethink. Think, think of that as part of our movement as well. Um, I think we got to start thinking a little 2.0 here on how these kind of flow. And, and Jonathan Foley, who is with... Um, I think he actually just left Drawdown, but he did a blog post this week on the four waves of climate action that kind of lays out what he sees needing to happen one after the other, starting with renewables, electrification, and, and then getting into other newer technologies and ultimately food systems. So um, just in thinking of all the sectors, doesn't really answer your question, but I thought that was a nice breakdown of how they kind of build on one another. All right, Kelly and Marie, I know you all are solar biased, but I'm calling you to think bigger. I mean, we, we, we also, you know, dabble in energy storage. So I, I definitely agree with Nico that um, we need to get that technology, those prices down, get have people be able to adopt those at the home level. And that's really going to change the whole just utility makeup. I think that's kind of the central energy storage is definitely the central part of the whole clean economy. Marie? Yeah, I wouldn't actually pinpoint one, um, I think there's not a single clean energy method at this time that can handle each and every type of application and each and every type of nuanced scenario that there is to, you know, by large and far um, uh, have um, meet the needs of, of what we're currently needing. So, if we wanted to like pick and choose, I would say just 
overall energy efficiency, um, LED lighting, uh, energy efficient, um, you know, energy star rated appliances, um, making sure your windows are uh, rated well and new, um, that those are types of things that we can do. Um, but as far as, as one clean economy sector, I would, I think we all need each other. Kim, did I, I get you yet? Finances those things. Our company, I'd be remiss if I didn't make the pitch, which is all like making your home more efficient and clean. So I totally echo Marie. Good. Tim, did I get you on this question yet? Not yet. I, uh, I'm biased. Solar is king. I predict that 70% of the grid in 2050 will be solar. And of course, you have to pair it with wind and storage, but that tripartite is it's a killer app. I noticed that none of you said transmission. It's interesting. So <clears throat> argument to be made. Okay. Now we got about I'm I'm asserting with no evidence that we have about 30 to 40 um, clean economy communicators who want to know the answer to this question. If someone wants to submit a topic or a guest suggestion to all of you for your shows. What are some do's and what are some don'ts? What's your coaching? Uh, I guess, oh, go ahead, Kelly. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, so with the Contractors Corner podcast, I mean, we are just talking to solar installers, and um, but I'm interested in stories from all over the place. So I want to hear from solar installers in Iowa. I want to hear from them, you know, in Nebraska, in Maine. I don't want to just hear from California people because that's how we can tell more stories and, and, and be able to grow and, and do our jobs better. And um, so just reach out to me. Let me know that you are cool with talking on <laughs> microphone and, and, you know, doing, doing all of that. So I just, just really reach out and tell me your story and I'd love to talk to you. I have to say, um, we've talked with, uh, Kelly's team, Kelly, Kelsey, I think it's also Billy, um, as well. She's not lying when she's saying, reach out to them. If you have uh, a scoop, so to speak, I think that's the lingo. Um, they're, they're more than happy to talk with you. And, um, so I just wanted to say that, that she's not lying when she says that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Now Marie, do's and don'ts for reaching out to you to get on WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, so generally, by large and far, people are so passionate about what they do, so passionate about this industry and the strides that their own companies are making. Um, and so when you're reaching out or pitching a topic, you know, don't necessarily look at it. This isn't a commercial for yourself. This is a, a way to showcase what you're passionate about. Um, and, and it's your viewpoints and you can also, and it's hard to do, but you can also separate your viewpoints from the viewpoints of your company. Um, I work for an EPC developer and my viewpoints are, are my own. Um, and so come to the initial interview, initial outreach with a value proposition of how your topic or your service, your, um, your uh, product can meet the needs of, for the overarching um, goals of the show. All right. Other tips, do's and don'ts. For us, the, uh, our, our topic is a little narrower than many. And so we're very focused on what we call local energy, which so freeing energy basically is freeing it from a century of monopolies and allowing individuals and communities to gain the economic and social benefits of creating and owning and executing their own energy. 
And um, and so while I think it your, your your new wind farm is really interesting, your new you know 200 megawatt wind farm, it just has nothing to do with what we're talking about. And um, uh, so I would say that uh, do the quick 30 second read and then tailor the presentation. And I think um, Marie, you said it really well. Uh, I'll build on that. I, you know, our podcast. I don't think anyone's podcast is a verbal press release for that company. Uh, come come to us with a you know an expertise point of view. Teach us something. Uh, that, that people don't know about. We spend, if you listen to us for half an hour, we've probably spent two or three hours preparing for that half an hour. Um, and so we try to really, if anyone, you know, Nico and I have worked together in some projects and Mike and I have, we put a lot of time uh, into these before they go live. So we really want people that are going to be big contributors to these ideas that we share. Okay. Yeah. I want to, I want to tag on to that. Um, there, there are a couple of pet peeves that I have. Uh, Bill is, uh, being nice about it. I'll just say it directly. Don't pitch someone for my show if it's obvious that you haven't even listened to my show. Uh, I can't tell you how many people want to talk about like this great product they have and they don't realize that like in almost 400 episodes of Suncast, we might have two episodes where we talk about a specific product and it is it is to serve the second point that Bill uh, mentions, which is, I mean, we talk about more products than that, but it is to educate the audience. Like, is there something novel that we can educate the audience about that doesn't sound like a press release? Um, and I think it comes from uh, a place of folks approaching podcasts with the same template and the same cadence and the same mindset that they've approached uh, journalistic outlets, um, pre predominantly print and online blog and media outlets, trying to get a story and to get press. Um, and we all know that basically if you, if you, uh, there are ways to pay to tell about yourself and there are podcasts for that. None of the ones on this, uh, on this panel. Uh, but the, uh, you know, I feel like if you understand what the podcast is about, which hopefully each of us have done a good job in the first minute or two minutes of the show explaining why the show exists, then you can approach it with uh, part two, which is my advice to folks um, beyond listening to the show. It is uh, tell me what topic your client would be good at educating my audience about or ask me what my audience is looking to learn and suggest three, four, five topics that your client that you're pitching would be good at addressing at an education level. I think that uh, to point out two companies that I just would like to um, say thank you to them, Technical Communications, Lisa Ann, Renewcom, uh, those guys all both have sent a ton of uh, a ton of interviews to uh, Suncast, both do a great job at pitching in a way that doesn't make me feel like they uh, are, like I'm a publication uh, interview or like they just want to get the next press release sort of uh, um, put out there on the airwaves through Suncast. Um, and then my last point, which is one of my big pet peeves uh, for anyone who's ever done a pre-interview with me, like I, I just won't allow anyone on the show that doesn't have good audio quality because at, uh, and so many statistics show that people drop off because of the audio quality. And yes, Tim and others are doing a great job of integrating video, but even those of you who are doing video know it's audio first. People will drop off if they don't like what they hear. And it's not just the content, but the context, it has to sound good. So there are really simple ways to pitch your guests. And I can send you a one pager that just knocks it out of the park. I can send you a template that you can use to pitch back to me. Please ask me, Nico at mysuncast.com if you want that. I'll give that to any of the other podcasters as well. And then 
the other is it's really simple for less than a hundred bucks. I'm not exaggerating that. Like I've, I've had this conversation with Mike, but like this little headset Sennheiser SC 60 for 40 bucks, Eric Peterman and the, and the GNR GRNA team have used it. Like almost half of my guests of 400 guests have used it because it just works. Like it doesn't have to break the bank to get good audio. So don't jump on with your onboard microphone uh, and think that it's going to be good because it actually costs money in the back end to edit out that junk. All right. Any other uh, tips for clean economy communicators pitching you all? I'd love to uh, make a few comments. I, I'm all about having a great story to tell. And it's fine if your story is we have better technology or faster or cheaper technology. And unlike Nico's show, I will bring a product on my show. And I also want to understand why that product is important and impactful in the greater scheme of things, not just for the sake of making money. Capitalism has won, but we are losing the war. <laughs> and so we all, uh, every human on earth has to be thinking about how do we transcend the great filter? And, and so I just encourage entrepreneurs to have a mission for a better world. Okay. We are two minutes out, and so I want to close with a question we always close with the editors panelists on, which is your your one to three big predictions for the rest of this year. I do want to know, uh, Ryan Schussland asked, how important do we think infrastructure is going to be to the future of clean economy? If that resonates, fold it into your answer. But I just want to make sure we had everybody here before we log off at top of the hour. Between If we do this show again at the end of the year, right, just doing it New Year's Eve, what three big things have come to pass in the next five months? I want to. I want to talk a little bit about um, the situation happening in, in Xinjiang and in, in China. Like, I hope that I am overblowing this and that we won't be talking about this at the end of the year. But um, earlier uh, last last month, you know, the the U.S. government they put a ban on on polysilicon coming from one company over there in China, and. I just think there's no way of avoiding it that where all of the solar panels that we are installing in the United States has some component that is coming from the Xinjiang region. We cannot avoid it. And, um, you know, if there's no way that we need to get these U.S. and these European supply chains going, and if we, we can't get that, it's just going to be a wake-up call to a lot of companies. I think that there's all these companies that are out there, they're touting that they're, you know, carbon neutral because they install so many solar panels. Yeah, but you might be installing solar panels that are coming from this dirty region using dirty coal energy to make the panels that might be using slave labor to make those panels. It's become going to become a little bit of a PR nightmare for a lot of companies. And I think the solar industry really needs to um, understand that this is coming, that it's going to maybe become a little bit more difficult for installers to um, source panels if you have very specific customers looking for where their panels are coming from. So um, hopefully it all sorts itself out. But I think this is going to be the story for the rest of the year. It kind of feels a little bit like, you know, back in 2017, right, when the when the 201 trade cases were, were starting. I'm getting those feelings again that that stuff is is happening. So I think we'll be talking about this at the end of the year. Kelly, I have a companion question. So for real, for our panelists, the first one who gets us right, if any, we'll send you a $25 Starbucks gift certificate. All right. So here's the, here's the questions. One question quiz. Solar panel, average solar panels, about 40 pounds. How many pounds of coal 
according to the ultra low carbon solar alliance needs to get burned in western china to make that 40 pound panel 100 pounds okay get 100 Oh, 200. Shit, 700. At 200, 700. <laughs> uh, it takes a ton of coal to make a megawatt hour of uh, power, if I believe, if I remember the numbers. Right. Anybody else want to take a guess? All right. It's, it is 520. Wow. 520 I should have known pounds. that. Had him on the show. <laughs> yeah. You should, Nico. You got no excuse, man. You don't get the gift certificate. All right. That's right. Good. That's All right. Um, let me go back to big predictions here. Kelly, very good. Julia biggest thing we're going to see between now and the end of the year that you're predicting? Um, yeah, well, I'll go the policy route. I think infrastructure will be part of it. The question is how much clean is it versus like what we traditionally think of as infrastructure roads and bridges and for sure some grid hardening and resilience. Um, but that'll be all, you know, what, what we're watching a lot of eyes on Senator Manchin. I think he just came out with his energy priority list in the last day or so that has the support of the Business Council for Sustainable Energy. Um, it's apparently got 500 page documents. You can get a sense of what's on his list. A lot of efficiency etc. Um, so I think we all think infrastructure bill, it's very much in flux. And so we'll just see how that comes together. And I'd, I'd also watch for budget reconciliation and what Democrats want to push through through that measure. So a lot of policy to, to come that turns what we're talking about into real stuff. All right, Bill. Yeah, I, I am hopeful and optimistic, maybe even predicting that in six months, uh, we will have realized as a nation that the when we talk about a clean energy future, that it's not entirely restricted to giant projects with giant government funding and giant transmission projects that won't get done for 10 years and will get stopped in three quarters of the time and don't require giant solar and giant wind and offshore wind. And there's an awful lot we can do. Um, and I think um, I think uh, Julia said it earlier, there's a lot, a lot we can do in our house. There's a lot we can do in our community and we can solve so many problems, you know, by by realizing that the economics for the first time and really only the last year or two make sense for people to put up their own solar on their own roof, on their own building, in their own community, in the neighborhood. And I'd love to see by the end of the year, and I'm hoping it'll be the case, that the conversation will not be 100%. We've got to build gigantic multi-billion dollar things to solve climate. There's an awful lot we can do in our own homes, with our own communities, with our own states and, and counties that can make a big contribution. Uh, it's not just a big problem. It's also a small problem. Tim? Well, I'd love to see uh, our country come together around infrastructure. And, you know, we need a trillion dollars of clean infrastructure a year for the next 20 years. And, and so while that sounds like a big number, the cost of all the floods, fires, droughts, et cetera, is much, much, much greater. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, I, I see the light that we could grab onto this moment and, uh, and start making a substantive investment in the future. All right, Ed, go to the, the last three of you, but I just pointed out, so I want to Weissman, we have a motion from the floor to do this again. Don't know if anybody's up for that, but if you are, um, I would suggest we throw out um, let's let's do this in New Orleans at SPI. Maybe up for that. Sure, sounds good. That happened. All right, I'm Glenna. I'm that with that with your prompting. I'm taping their feet to the floor with duct tape. So I think we got them. All right, so we'll do this again in September. All right, Mr. Johnson, big thing. Um, yeah, uh, I would say. Well, it's time for action, and with what our colleagues have said around the infrastructure bill uh, gaining momentum, finally. 
Um, I think that the big thing is that by the end of the year, most of us will have a clear idea of how and where we can point uh, point the vehicle in terms of where money is coming from and flowing into. I think that clarity will be there. Um, if I had to bet, I think we're going to see a major uh, or several announcements around big green hydrogen deals, like actually being put in the ground, like starting, that this is not a future uh, hypothesis scenario. These There are projects already being built. I think we'll see by the end of the year um, certain sort of uh, long-held beliefs starting to come to fruition. Um, speaking of which, one of my long-held beliefs is that at SPI, we just don't have a good place for podcasters, in particular for journalists, to gather. And after three years, I am stoked that not only did we do the podcast lounge with Bill and Julia and several others were able to participate in, you, Mike, um, back in 2019, uh, Josh and I hosted a ton of content there, but we're doing the podcast lounge again. Uh, it's going to be called Power Up Central. Julia's going to co-host. Josh is going to co-host. I think I'm going to twist Tim's arm to co-host. Uh, I want all of you podcasters there. So um, I will uh, take it one step further than, um, than Mike on Glenna's ask. And we will host this podcast roundtable at the Power Up Central, which is right beside the SunPower booth at this year's New Orleans North America Smart Energy Week. So I look forward to seeing y'all there. And if you're a podcaster, not only on this uh, panel, but in general, in the climate space, reach out to me if you want to have your show broadcast live from SPI, um, or if you want to sort of play around with all the fancy fun that Josh and Julia and Mike and Tim and I are sure to be having on uh, on the show floor. So with that, um, thanks for this opportunity, Mike. I think we're going to have to call that uh, September reconvening of the roundtable. We've got to call it the, the Glenna Wiseman Tribute there you um, go. <laughs> tri tribute episode. And Glenda, you get the first um, question. Send it to Nico. We'll make sure that the first audience question comes from you. All right, Marie, big prediction between now and the end of the year. Yeah, I'm hearing everybody's answers and the impending and potential for panel shortage or infrastructure changes. All of those are influential on the costs of overall solar installations. So I'm hoping between now and the end of the year, we see a lot more traction on the soft costs of solar installation. So things like standardization of permitting, which uh, we talked with Mike and Jan about, standardization of the soft cost barriers, um, and and with things like permitting and interconnection, um, having those get more traction and taking the e some of the burden off of the EPC firms. All right, Josh, you get the last word on big prediction before we close this out. But only if I get a commitment that I get a helicopter ride from <laughs> the National Capillary down in New Orleans, because I, I, you know, I'll tell you what, we'll be out in Colorado with George by by aerospace in a few weeks. Maybe we can. Uh, get you a, a two-seat e-flyer ride, uh, okay. electric airplane. Maybe that'll be in your future uh, if oh, you like to come God. along. So, uh, yeah, I'd say this. Hey, from the island perspective, we're looking at how do we get these islands to 100% renewable energies. In the case of Oahu, we don't have the capacity, rooftop capacity, solar farm capacity, to actually hit the 100% renewable energy mandate. So is it going to be an offshore wind play? We don't know. What's happening in transmission, for example, 
Uh, that you mentioned transmission earlier. Uh, we're actually heading out tomorrow to go down to Princeton to meet with a couple of professors from the Anglinger Center on this film project and learn about uh, what the PGM, uh, 60 million person, I believe, uh, grid looks like at 2030 at like full uh, penetration of renewables. Uh, so that's something that I think we're going to be able to actually air in this film at NOLA on the Jumbotrons. This is called The Road to NOLA. We're traveling cross country on an RV. And if anyone out there wants to uh, have us come visit them, we there still are some spots available. We can come out. We're, we're going across the entire country. All right. Podcasters, this has been a lot of fun. And um, I can't believe no one has done this before. So anyway, I'm glad we're the first conveners because this is super cool. And um, it's a really good conversation. So thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your perspective. And I should note that, um, you know, running a clean economy podcast is not a uh, it's not a hugely profitable venture. You're not going to be um, getting on the Forbes list for doing it. So it's definitely a labor of commitment and love. And I think it's it's uh, to your credit that you do this, you persevere, you put these shows together, and you do the listening and digestion for us. And we as a sector are better off for it. So I, I know I'm speaking for myself and a lot of people that we work for. I'm confident I'm channeling them and expressing my gratitude. So, And I'm really fired up that... Um, that Glenn has uh, got us all enrolled to reconvene this thing at, at the end of the summer down in New Orleans. So that's going to be really good. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We will have you back at the end of the summer and I'll see you in New Orleans. All right, Solar Warriors. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you found that podcasters roundtable informative. If you did and you'd like to hear more like it, would you shoot us an email? Nico at mysuncast.com or mike at tigercom that's tigercom with two m's dot us you could also shoot me a text at 310-634-1780 and let me know what was your favorite takeaway uh, of course i always love it when you find my post about that episode and give it a little reshare or a like or a comment if you just go scroll my profile at linkedin you will see the live performance of that session and you can comment yourself you can share it with your friends and i'd love it if you just tag us there and let us know what your takeaways are and as i said before if you just want to give me some personal feedback you can text me at 310-634-1780 but listen coming up on thursday is an episode that you won't want to miss it's an interview with a very very special and uh, in fact very well-known and powerful clean tech executive miss michelle mcgee if you haven't heard of michelle from give power well maybe you will have heard of michelle from her time at Tesla or some of her previous roles, all of which we go into as we usually do here on Suncast. So if you'd like to get to know a power player in the clean energy economy, tune in Thursday, as always, for a profile of Michelle McGee from Give Power. I'd like to thank those of you who have tuned in thus far, making nearly 400 episodes possible. It is your presence and your passion that keeps me going. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>